There's also two boys named Noah. I mean, look, everybody knows the gauntlet you have to go through to beat the Noahs, but... Yeah, that's part of it all. There's so many Noahs that you have to then first defeat. One of them lies, and the other one only tells the truth. And it's yep. up to you to decide which is which. You have to you have to physically fight them, just to be clear about what we're saying. You have to actually f- defeat them in physical combat. Welcome to Chapel Bucker, the stats focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Nathan. And somehow I'm still Justin. And the reports of our death as a podcast were greatly exaggerated. I don't think anyone was reporting that, but if you were, suck it, we're back. We had to take a week, <laughs> literally a week, to lick our wounds. Uh, we're back to do a SEC championship game review. It's going to be kind of loose. We're not going to do the normal amount of... Look, it's hard to... We're going to have things to say, and we have stats to talk about, but at some point it's just like... We, we, we all that just watch right? something die and yeah. you know we're not going to go over it with the fine acute as fine a tooth comb as we normally would that's not true we probably are i always say it's not gonna be that long and then you say like that an and then and it always turns yeah. out to be the other yeah um so before we do that i think we have an announcement to make and we have an opportunity to do something and much like uga's uh season is not done and there is still a lot for us to play for and a lot for us to be excited for. There in uh, in the Chapel Bell Curve land, there is something coming up that we are very excited about. Justin, would you like to give us the details? Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man, Nathan. It's something we've been talking about for years, and it's finally here. So we, because we felt pretty confident that no matter what happened uh, before this game, this the game that we're talking about today, we felt pretty confident that there would be more Georgia football after this. And so... That being said, we are finally going to have sort of an impromptu live show recording. So here in Athens next weekend on December 18th, December 18th in the afternoon at 1.30 p.m. at Authentic Brewing, we will be having a live recording of this show. And so Nathan and I will be there. We'll, we will do the show exactly how we do it here, basically. Uh, people are welcome to come out, uh, ask live questions if they would like. We would love for you to come out and ask live questions. We will still t- take questions before the show and ask them there but if you are there you're welcome to to ask them to the world essentially and have your voice be recorded onto uh this podcast in live time live time yeah and uh, that is yeah. Lo- that is located at 108 park avenue athens georgia 30601 they are right off of prince avenue they are right near the i guess prince avenue mcdonald's they're kind of near the where the old oh, yeah. circular cvs used to be if you mm-hmm. would like a, a frame of reference Oh, yeah. Come see the beauty of Athens without students, essentially, because a lot of students will already oh, be gone. Some students stay. It's the best stay, time of year. But it's the best time of year. after finals. You'll be free of students, and there will be lots of fantastic beer. Um, all ages are welcome. You are not. You don't have to be 21 to attend said show. You can come if you're under 21. That is totally fine. Come out and enjoy the dang thing. Um, and, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. So, so come do it. We would love to have you and love to see you. So let's start with... We're going to just try to use some therapy words and talk about the way we felt and what we Mm, think. Therapy words. Let me ask you a question right off the top, though, Nathan. Yes. Um, I'm already off off track, off script here. Is Mercedes-Benz Stadium a cursed and haunted stadium? Hmm. That's a good question. I know one person that would say yes to this question um, wholeheartedly oh, without so, well, any hesitation. See, here's the thing. This is the argument that I'm making with, uh, that I made to Samantha. Samantha would say yes. Samantha hates that point. Yes. But 
I would argue that Samantha wasn't at this game and we still lost, which proves that she has nothing to do with the curse. Now, whether or not MBS is cursed, I mean, I guess my response would be, is the crypt of a Lich Lord cursed because of the pro- or of the presence of the Lich Lord, or is it just cursed? Or is the Lich Lord just cursed? You know what I'm saying? Like, we never say, oh, yeah. like, a dungeon is not cursed, right? The things in the dungeon are cursed, right? Here's the thing, though. Is the Lich Lord's crypt on stolen land? Who are the indigenous people the Lich Lord placed their palimpsest onto in order to use it <laughs> as a response? Very, very good. Very good use of the word palimpsest. Who's haunting this? Right. I mean, but I, I'm just saying, it's not. I mean, look, nobody wants to go to the Tomb of Horrors or the Tomb of Elemental Evil or any of these big D and D tombs after you clear the Lich Lord out of them. But once mm-hmm. it's dead, it's just a bunch of all. It's just a pile of bricks right the problem is not the bricks the problem is the lich lord so it's like excise the lich lord the bricks are fine is that's my sort of approach to it yeah all right we just need to find a sage big enough to burn to cleanse or we need somebody place. with a very high level turn undead spell that would be good too uh or ceremonial what is the ceremonial cleansing or mm-hmm. <laughs> you've been clerics mm-hmm. before i have not been cleric yeah, you Not could, a man you of could God. cast. Uh, well, ceremony would give you hallowed ground temporarily, but you, there's an actual blessing spell to bless an area, which is called. We don't need long, just sixty minutes. Well, that's ceremony, but ceremony is what allows you to play. Uh, ceremony is allowed is what allows you to do in character weddings. Oh, so Hold if any the boys need to get married while the game's yeah. still going on. There we, we go. So ceremony. Yeah, you're looking at uh I think it's called consecration. Yeah, which is a, a cleric only spell. This is beautiful. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your experience though at Hallow. MBS? Hallow is another way to do it. Hallow. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I can't I, I had to answer <laughs> I can't not answer the question, right? Yeah, Hallow is, very is, good the, is the spell you're looking for. It's a fifth level evocation spell, so you have to be a pretty high level cleric, which clearly <laughs> clearly <laughs> <laughs> to transition in kirby has been taking a lot of levels in barbarian and in sort of phys- yeah. physical based uh characters and not so many in the cleric spells that he needs so my experience i thought that it was an excellent trip for the redcoats i thought that everybody did a really great job i thought they played their asses off frankly i thought that they sounded really good and you know on their best day there aren't many bands that want to play around them and I thought they had a very good day. And, you know, Alabama's band was also good. But I thought that the Redcoats were really on at the height of their game the whole the whole day through in what was, you know, a rough situation. This is a this is a band where more than a quarter of the band has never seen this team lose live, right? And to yep. be able to play through that and play through that adversity, I thought was very impressive. We did some new things at we only played pregame, so we did some new things at pregame and I had to run the Larry Munson sounds. Well, I didn't run them, but I had to set everything up and had the Larry Munson sounds ready to play and queue up. And then one of the other TAs hit the button, but we did them off of my iPad. And so mm. I did have this moment where I was like, I'm going to delete everything that makes noise off of this iPad. Like any, <laughs> there will be no app on this iPad that can produce noise because the only thing coming out of the speaker wire is going to be Larry Munson's voice. I do not care what. So I ended up freeing up about like two and a half gigs on my iPad as I deleted like every single movie, every streaming app. I was very paranoid because <laughs> we were going to run the pregame Larry Munson sounds through our new speaker system. 
and they were like, yeah, just get your iPad and you'll do, and you can do it. And then I had this you'll horrible, I had this horrible, like, what if, what if, what if they hit the button and Carly Rae Jepsen comes out? <laughs> you know, like, what if, what what's if he the worst that the, could happen though? Really? Well, yeah. What's the, well, oh, oh, uh, well, you know, they also make books on tape of the fan fictions I've been reading. So, I mean, if really? the question is, what's the worst that can happen? The answer is like national embarrassment, I guess. Maybe international. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, that ended up going really well. Uh, and it was one of those things where, honestly, until the in, until the second quarter, the trip was great. I mean, I, I thought the behind-the-scenes stuff for the Redcoats isn't really interesting to anybody but me, probably. But it's a hard trip. It's a really rough trip. It's a 24-hour turnaround. And, you know, you get off the bus, you put your stuff down at the hotel, and then you get right back on the bus to go do a rehearsal the first night on Friday night. And you got to get up and be on from you know, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., basically. Uh, and I thought, you know, it was really cool. We went to St. Pius on Saturday morning. St. Pius the 10th, I think, is a little Catholic school in... Well, I hope it's a Catholic school. It's named after a oh, yeah. saint. It is. But uh, it, it's what I presume to be a Catholic school in Atlanta. And we played a open practice there. And I got to see a lot of very cool people for the first time in a long time. We saw the Nabs and Eric Kreidel and uh, saw Kelsey and the Andriches. Some of these people listen to this podcast, so presumably they'll hear this, and mm-hmm. I just want to say that I love to see them all. So yeah, everything went well until the second quarter, and then nothing went well. And that's all right, uh, because you know I'm going to just give you my stream of consciousness about what, how I felt. Uh, I read My Hero Academia fan fiction as a coping me- mechanism during the fourth quarter. That's where I was. Did you really? Yeah, I went through all <laughs> stages of grief in the third quarter. I converted to Buddhism briefly, converted back to Christianity, and that was before the fourth quarter started. Uh, Derby sound great or whatever. I uh, I saw the face of God, and he was a, that she was upset, and and then you know I knew despair, uh, true true crushing despair. Although I will say there was a there was an element. I'm making a lot of jokes about how bad it was, but there was an element to the to which it was like, it was good. It's good to not feel numb. You know, it's oh. good. Sometimes it's fun. Not fun, but it's good. I would rather suffer than feel nothing. You know what I mean? Like, I would uh-huh. rather really care about something and think we're going to win and be wrong and feel like a fool for thinking we were going to win than to be jaded and unenthusiastic and cynical just because of my I let my fear control me, you know? And so, yeah, it sucked. And I tried to be as present as I possibly as I had the emotional strength to be. But let me tell you. I've been through a six and seven season in this band and gone to every game and I've been through a 12 and one season and the six and ones, the six and seven season sucked way more because at the end of a six and six season, when you lose to UCF and your last game is a red coat, you really just don't care. And I would much prefer to be hurt and care than to not care and not feel anything. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I am. That's absolutely fair. Yeah, I get that. And that this was definitely a game, I will say, that I feel like we've had a lot of games this season where we've kind of been like, yeah, it happened. And we knew we were going to win. And that was it. Cool game. And so at least there's that. Like, we remembered what it was to, like, I, I don't want, I don't ever want to get to a place, I will say, where we are so jaded or privileged to try and call for our head coaches firing after a loss like a single loss you know and 
no matter what happens after this and no matter like this loss even it, it doesn't take away from the very very best season of college football i have ever seen in my life so even that so far it's just been absolutely incredible so um and I guess this is one of those times where we all, we always have a, a loss each season where we, we kind of take a moment and we take too long to get our review out and we have a moment of, of loss and grief when we go through all the stages. But I think that, you know, the reason why we make this show and why we continue to make this show is not because of a silly game played by teenage boys with an oblong ball. It's because of all of the peripheral ripples that this game makes. And we still have those things after a mm-hmm. loss, mm-hmm. the same as we do after a win. Yeah, we're going to talk about nice. we're going to talk about the community. Uh, yeah. our, our Patreon segment from our fifty dollars tier this week is going to be a question about the community, and and I think ultimately, even in the throes of it, even in the depths of it, I wasn't able to check Discord really as we went through, but I was really pleased at how there for everyone the community was, uh-huh. you know, and I didn't I didn't really think that anyone in the community made an ass of themselves. And I mean that in no. a loving way. You know, it's easy when you're in a bad place about something that is silly, but it still hurts. It doesn't make it hurt less, even though it's silly. Mm-hmm. It, it's really easy in that moment to lash out and to say things that you don't mean. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's super easy. But uh, my experience of it was, was similar to yours, but with a lot less people. <laughs> um I know, so I, I we wash it up at the lake house. The lake house, whenever I say the lake house, it sounds a lot fancier than it is. And now it is for the first time ever actually kind of fancy because I always had to preface saying the lake house with telling everybody like, no, it's kind of a shack that Anna's family inherited. And it's just great because it's on the water and you can go do water things. And that's really great. But over the last three years, Anna's dad has been renovating the lake house to be like a beautiful destination with internet and a TV. And so we watched the football game there. The very first time I've ever watched the football game there. And for many people watching a football game there. And that was really nice. And so uh, the first half was tough. Um, After the first half is the first time that Georgia was uh, not expected to win um, against Alabama in any time this season. So that was pretty wild, but uh, came back for a touch and then went away again. And so you know, it was it was really fun to watch with the family and Ryan and I, uh, brother-in-law Ryan, sat there on the couch together and went through all of the stages of grief simultaneously. And by fourth quarter, um, we had bourbon in our hands and we drank entirely too much before the end of the game. Uh, I think the game was over around eight-ish. And at that point, I had to um, drink more bourbon, one, and two. By 8.45 or 9, text my wife to come get me off the couch or else lose me forever because I was going to die there. <laughs> uh, As it, it was, happens. It was a lovely time. As it happens, yes. I was going to die there on that rickety couch. Um, I had already resigned myself to doing such, uh, but she did come and save me. Um, and then I went upstairs and I cried about how much I love my dog. Um, and it was perfect and it was lovely. And I forgot about football for a moment. I woke up the next morning. Um, in a lovely place overlooking the lake and, you know, a day older, a dollar shorter, but still uh, a dog in my heart. And that's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into like news and things, Nathan, do you want to share anything else about experiences? Uh, you know, I thought it was we got some time to hang out with the uh, with the Alabama band, which I thought was cool. We took pictures with the Alabama Sousas. Thought that was cool. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It sucked. <laughs> it sucked a lot. And that was rough. But hey, here we are. Uh, and yeah. we made it through. We're stronger people. Growth through pain, you know. So we've, yep. we've done it. Uh, I will also add, I meant to say this earlier, but the St. Pius, this is a odd random fact, but I just want to say St. Pius was our, our Frisbee. Uh, when I was in high school, I played on the ultimate Frisbee team and they were our, uh, they were our rivals, our dreaded rivals, those Catholics. Really? Was, uh, yeah, they were. So that's how I know who they are and where they, they play. have a, they have a, a incredibly detailed crucifix outside of the end zone of one oh. of their end zones in their football stadium. And it's not like the same level of like, oh, this is beautiful art, the way like Touchdown Jesus is or whatever at Notre <laughs> Dame, having seen that. Uh-huh. It's more just like scary. Like it's it, it looks like a crucifix that would be in the omen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like where it's like all of the stations of the cross are bleeding real blood at all times, but it's ah. fine. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, so how is, I think. so I, I feel like we have some, we have, before we get into sort of what the stats tell us and we talk about this game, I feel like we have a little bit of news, right? I mean, obviously, UG oh, yeah. is playing Michigan in the Orange Bowl in a few weeks. So we, of course, will be previewing that at our authentic live show. If just mm-hmm. to plug it again, we'd love to have you there. So what, what news and notes do you have for me other than that? Man, oh man, Nathan, the headlines have all been saying, Um, How overrated Georgia is, one. And two, the one thing that I did want to kind of talk about, because this is an interesting tidbit, like the rest of it is kind of unfounded and without real basis. But I did want to kind of get your thoughts on this idea. And the headline that I keep seeing is that this concept that Georgia is a team that is so talented that it's not about coaching. It's not about this. It's not about scheme. It's more like Georgia was just so much more talented than every team they played that they just could out-talent any team they played, and that's how they won up to this point. And that all crumbled away the moment they played a team just as talented as them, that team being Alabama. And so I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that and what we can talk about through that idea. Uh, I mean, okay, so I think that essentially... We did get out game plan. I thought we had a bad game plan. Mm-hmm. And I, well, no, let me rephrase. I thought we had a game plan that we couldn't execute. One of the things that really struck me, especially in the second quarter, was that, you know, Alabama was making pre snap adjustments that we were not ready for. And that's uncharacteristic of this defense under Kirby Smart writ large, much less this year's defense. And so what that tells me is that Alabama had something new, right? Well, and, and that's fine, but I don't think we saw the, we had a, we had a game plan before the game that was not going to work. And I don't think that we saw an adjustment from that game plan fast enough. You know, if you look at what happened to Bryce Young's stats after the second quarter, they went way down, right? I mean, after the third play of the second quarter, when the, uh, when they scored the, I guess, like kind of nail in the coffin touchdown, the, the D their offense didn't really do much. Right. And, you know, part of that is because they were sitting on a big lead and they didn't really have an incentive to take any risks. But I also think that UGA figured some stuff out and made some adjustments to put some pressure on Bryce Young. So, it's like I don't I don't know that you can make a statement about you know is UGA incapable of game planning because clearly they've been pretty good at game planning in the past. I think that I think that this is a symbol or, or a, I think it was one of those things where it's like UGA got out game planned and it doesn't happen often and then they didn't switch off of it fast enough. 
Now, mm-hmm. I, I one of my central theses of the game, of, and this kind of leads me into sort of the central thing that I want to say about this game is that like, it's not that I think this game was closer than you think. I, I hate when people are like, "Oh, this game was closer than you think it was." Blah blah. blah. I, like, I don't actually think that, but I do sort of think that this game hinged around two or three or four really important plays that were not fluky. They were very good plays and in general, very good plays by Alabama's offense. Right. But they were plays that maybe don't happen every time. And I think that you can sort of spread brain equally to Georgia's defense and offense for what happened. Obviously the defense didn't execute the game plan and had a very bad day, but on the other hand, the offense wasn't capable of keeping up with the pace. And I think there's, there's plenty of blame to go around, but it feels to me like some of this stuff is fixable. I'm not saying that if we played this game again, I think that Georgia would win. But I do think that if you play this game 10 times or you you make these teams play 10 times, maybe not this game in particular, but if these, if these teams just played once every week for 10 weeks, I think Georgia would probably at least win four of them, right? And yeah. so it's like, if that's the case, even with a lopsided final score you have to think that there's some pathway forward. I'm not one mm-hmm. of these people that thinks that there's no way George is going to win the national championship if they play Alabama in a rematch. I mean, you got to beat Michigan first, so it doesn't, you know, we shouldn't even really been talking about that. But I also think it's, it's informative to think about how the game went, right? So it's like Bryce Young, there are two or three plays. Like if, if Bryce Young doesn't recover his own fumble, it's a very different game. If, yeah, if, Stetson Bennett doesn't throw a really bad pick on a fourth down play. It's a really different, different game. game. Well, they didn't get any points off of that. But if Stetson did it, doesn't throw a really bad pick, pick six. I mean, I, one of the things I was thinking about in the fourth quarter is like there were parts of the game in the fourth quarter, a game that seemed so out of reach that would have been one score, one score. It would have been a one score game in the fourth quarter had Stetson Bennett mm-hmm. not thrown that pick six. Now, I think that, you know, this is the point of the episode where we probably talk about and maybe we can use this to lead into our stats uh, yeah. I think we should probably talk about Stetson Bennett, right? Uh, if oh, yeah. pulling up our stats on game on paper, just looking at you know his performance and trying to be uh, as as nice to a single person who is very good at this game as we can be, you know, Stetson Bennett twenty nine for forty eight, three hundred forty yards, four touchdowns, two picks, three sacks, fifty point five xqbr. He had six point six yards per play, negative point zero eight per play EPA per play. Negative four two two EPA, success rate of forty seven percent, and a win percentage of ten percent, negative ten percent added. Now, that's uh, <laughs> that's not great, you know. I mean, and, yeah. and you don't necessarily need to have Bryce Young numbers where you go twenty six for forty four for four twenty, right? But you can't have those kinds of numbers, right? I mean, you know, you have a breakout day from your freshman tight end. And you have a pretty atrocious day from your quarterback. And then you don't really get anything from your running backs. You know, James Cook went 11 for 38 yards, right? And this is what happens, right? You didn't even have time to try to establish the run game because you were behind so early. You had to throw the ball. And so, I I don't know, man. I just, on the one hand, I think things aren't as dire as they seem because I think that there are some adjustments to be made. I think that if we look at the way this game went out and you look, it's just the win percentage chart. I mean, UGA had a positive win percentage chance uh, or win percentage per game on paper.com like into the second quarter. Right. And so the, you know, the fact that, I I mean, I don't know, man, like just 
this is a this is a game where it's like UGA could have won this game if a couple of things went different and if we made better decisions personnel wise. I mean, UGA was four point one one total EPA, point eight four uh, offensive EPA, one point four five special teams EPA. You uh, and this is our total EPAs, and then Alabama twenty four point two five total EPA, twenty one point four eight offensive EPA. So what you see there, I think those offensive EPA numbers really tell the story, right? Just kind of a complete failure by both sides of the ball, and I'm not sure that that failure is replicable like i think that mm-hmm. you know alabama probably wins this game more than 50 percent of the time but it, a lot of things went wrong uga just could not finish could not get bryce young on the ground didn't figure out how to get contain him until the th- third quarter after the damage was done and then couldn't do anything offensively right i mean this is a game where you score 24 points but like even that, like, you know, some of those were pretty much that one of those was pretty much a garbage time touchdown. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, on the one hand, it's like things may be less. I, I kind of left this game feeling like things are less dire than they seem. But at the same time, they're still pretty dire because a lot of the things that got us to this point were coaching decisions. Right. And look, we said throughout the year that we thought Stetson Bennett was playing the best game for his, his best football of his career. That's probably still the case. But at the same time, mm-hmm. since when you when you pressure him, Stetson Bennett's not a good quarterback. He's not, and it's all right, right? And and that's was good enough to get you to twelve and zero. I totally get it, and I get maybe the logic of like, oh, you got to ride and die with with the guy who got you there, and I get that too. But it's like, are you're not beating Alabama with Stetson Bennett? Like, I I don't. How many times do we have to do this before we figure it out? You know, and and, and honestly. Honestly, that's the thing that, that kind of makes me the angriest is like I can I like Stetson Bennett is going to start against Michigan. And if he doesn't, well, I will be both shocked and happy, but he's going to start against Michigan. That's just the way Kirby Smart is wired. I don't know. At this point, my biggest frustration with this team is like, what does it take? Like you can fix. Hey, look, sometimes the opposing quarterback has a Heisman night and you lose or at least you give mm-hmm. up a bunch of yards and a bunch of points. Right. Sometimes. Your good, like sometimes your top level NFL prospect quarterback has a bad night and throws a couple of picks and you lose. You can deal with that too, right? And and I think the defense should have been more prepared. And I think that we should have maybe tried to switch some stuff up earlier and try to experiment a little more with the game plan. But ultimately, the thing that pisses me off the most is the quarterback decision because it's like, mm-hmm. what do you have to see to understand that what matters in modern offensive college football is ceiling? It's not floor, right? Because it's like, maybe the floor on JT Daniels is lower. I don't know that that's true, but maybe it is. And, and if it is, fine, because the ceiling's way higher. Because let me tell you if you, get JD, if you get JT Daniels' floor in that game against Alabama, you still lose. But if you get a ceiling, mm-hmm. you might win, right? And so that, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just incredibly frustrated. And it's like, hey, maybe JT Daniels is hurt, and that's fine. But it's like, Kirby Smart doesn't owe me anything, right? He's getting paid, and he should not care about anything about what I think. But ultimately, he has a PR management problem. If JT Daniels is hurt, I know he doesn't care about the fans. Not that he doesn't care about the fans. It's sort of like he doesn't like the fans, but he just it's not his job to care about the fans' opinions, right? I know he doesn't care about the media, and I get all of that. But at some point... The perception that you are bad at managing quarterbacks affects your job security, right? It affect it like if we had played J- this same game and we J- we started JT Daniels and we lost, not a single damn person was gonna say, 
oh, if only we had played Stetson Bennett. And I know that Kirby thinks deep down that that doesn't matter. And maybe it doesn't. But like long term, the health of the program is about the perception of the program. Right. And and that's to me is I, it's like this is a PR sport as much as it is it, as it is a physical sport. <sighs> sorry. I'm just <laughs> what do you think? I'm sorry. I just ranted for like 20 minutes. No, you're I, good. I, I mean, that, those are all true things. I think that it's not I think. The, so this is one thing I will I will try to pull away from in our conversation right now, because I do think that a lot of fans are trying to blame one aspect of this. And I truly think that this is a game not to blame any one player or any one side of the ball. I think this is just in every aspect of the game. We we simply got out coached and that, that's what oh, yeah. it came down to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it's it was some there were some really weird things that I'll, I kind of took some notes on that I just felt were really odd. We saw a lot of things schematically defensively that we haven't seen all year. We saw a lot of weird blitzes. We saw a lot of weird zones and they kept getting dropped. It seemed unnecessarily complex. Um, you know, this question that kind of started us here came from the question of does Georgia's team fall apart when they play a team of equal talent, equal value, so to speak? And I think that that's not true, but there's no way for us to know because we played an unnecessarily complex defense, I feel, and we didn't let our players play. And that's I think that that is part of the issue here. And if you look at the way that, that Bryce Young spread the ball around, there's a few things I, I think are, are worth noting is that he threw a lot to the outsides, which it wasn't as successful there on the outsides. He had a lot of success over the middle and deep over the middle. Um he also had a lot of uh, a lot less success when he was properly blitzed. And I think that we talked about this last week in our preview episode when we said that Auburn has given us a blueprint of how to beat Bama. And I don't think that Bama fixed enough for that not to be true. I just don't think we did what Bama did or Auburn did, excuse me. Because Auburn was blitzing on every single play. They were running right up the middle and beating that left and right guard every single play. And they were putting Bryce Young on well, his yeah, heels. And we and just didn't I do think, that. I think it's one of those things where it's like, at some point, it's like when you're down three scores, why the fuck not? Like, what's the yeah, difference just between go f- down yeah. and being down three and four scores? And like, look, at, look I, I hesitate to even talk about this or to even I, I hesitate to talk about this game at all because this is the kind of game that makes you sound like an armchair quarterback and at some point Bryce Young just had a really good game and he was just he unconscious game, yeah. in the second quarter but I think it's like sure Alabama probably had a suboptimal game plan for Auburn because they thought they could beat Auburn with talent and they were saving it for Georgia I get that but like mm-hmm. how many times do you have to see something work to not exploit it. Like, I don't get what the thought was on the game plan. I don't get why we stuck with it. It's like, look, I know we were blitzing the first half. I know we were. I know we were not, mm-hmm. but we were still keeping dudes in the zone and he was chewing up the zone. So it's at what point do you make a trans, you make a shift. And it's like, it's just so uncharacteristic. Like one of the, yeah. one of the hallmarks of this Kirby team has been, they just play really well in the third quarter and they make adjustments going into halftime really well. Like the, the middle eight, they're usually pretty good at, they're usually pretty good in the second half, the second quarter. And it's like, I don't know where that was. And I, and yeah. I hate narratives and I don't, and I'm not saying that Kirby smart can't do it. I'm not saying that, you know, this team can't beat Alabama. If we play again, I don't think they will be favored and I don't think they should be, but there's no reason to say that they couldn't. But ultimately it's like, 
I guess my biggest frustration is like, I'm not saying that Kirby can't do it. And I think the narrative that he can't is bullshit, but ultimately it matters. Right. And to pretend like it doesn't is silly. And sure. I'm sure that most inside call most inside football people would tell you that there's a lot of reasons that Georgia lost this game that had nothing to do with Stetson Bennett. And I think that's true. And most recruits would tell you that like, Hey, you know, Guy across the field sometimes has it just out of his mind game. You lose the game. That's what happens. I get all of that. So what the fans think doesn't matter in this instance. But if if the fans think it enough, then the recruits will. Right. And then it's like the line between, oh, the fans think it and it's true is a lot thinner than I think Kirby Smart is making it about to be. And it's mm-hmm. like you cannot just come out and frankly choke in these high leverage situations like you can't. This team was not less talented than Alabama. They got out game planned and, you know, Georgia didn't have an answer. And I mean, that, that is what it is ultimately at the end of the day, but like the perception that that's what Georgia does in these big, in these high leverage situations is not going to go away until you fix it. No, until you beat Alabama, they're always going to be there. And like, yeah, sure. Like maybe you, you, you wait for Saban to retire or whatever, but at that point, like, do you still have a job? Like Saban, Saban strikes me as the kind of guy who will be playing, who will be trying to coach when he's 85. So like, what do you, yeah. I, I just, I don't get the decision-making just philosophy from the, the very top level right going mm-hmm. right now. It's like, at some point you can't be conservative. You have to stop it. I'll All right. You... I'm sorry. Give me some observations. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll give you. So from the stats, actually, this, these are important. This is something that we really don't use very often because uh, the most important plays, if you go into game on paper, there's a, a section called most important plays and most important plays is a list of plays that change the win probability adjustment the most. And so it could be really great for a specific team or it could be really bad for a specific team. And so we haven't really used this often because it has not really been interesting to look at until this game. And so what I will say, uh, these statistics do back up the sort of, um, I think it's an objective narrative. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say an objective narrative, um, that you're kind of, you know, sharing right now and, and listing through regarding Stetson Bennett and the quarterback play. But statistically speaking, the, the win probability was adjusted the most based on a few of these Stetson Bennett plays, though I will again say yet another disclaimer, both positively and negatively that Stetson Bennett did keep us in the game, but he also in some ways cost us the game for a couple of these plays. So let me, let me kind of throw some of these at you. The, the most, uh, the, the, the biggest play according to WPA was in the second quarter. It was two minutes left and Stetson Bennett did complete that pass to lad for 32 yards for the touchdown, tying the game up 17, 17. There was a 12% change in win probability. The second one quarter three with Bryce young, uh, Completed that pass to Jameson Williams for 55 yards for a touchdown, uh, bringing Alabama to 31 to Georgia 17. There was another 12% win probability adjustment. That was the first time that it did actually move into Alabama's favor, which, again, is interesting because Alabama was not favored until they were two scores up. Um, Then we do get into the next two scores are the fourth quarter and third quarter. The fourth quarter when Stetson Bennett threw an interception, uh, Jordan Battle. Uh, for that pick six return for 42 yards that brought Alabama up 38 Georgia 17 the third quarter is the fourth one um, a Stetson Bennett pass intercepted to Helms return for three yards to Alabama 12 that was uh, I believe not yet no, that's the one that actually did not result in any scores but both of those good for 10.3 and 11 percent win probability adjusted so 
not great, but everything past that is pretty minimal as far as how it adjusted the game, how it changed the game. According to the stats, this game was still in George's hand to an extent until those interceptions and then uh, until Bryce Young just bombed it out to Williams for 55 yards. But uh, got any thoughts on those things? (laughs) I mean, right. So part of the story is that like, on the one hand, you had, I mean, and it's like, I I got really frustrated about Seth's Bennett, but like, you know, we got messed up in the secondary, right? And Mm -hmm. honestly, it matters that John Mechie is not going to play if we have a rematch with this team. You got to beat Michigan first. And so who knows? But in a theoretical rematch against Alabama, which maybe we shouldn't be even talking about because we got to beat Michigan. But in a Mm. theoretical uh, matchup against Alabama, you're not going to have John Mechie because the other side of this was like UGA couldn't keep up, but they couldn't stem the bleeding, right? These big pass plays. Like, I mean, look, we got victimized in zone pretty much the whole night, right? And, Mm. you know, uh, what's this... uh, Bryce Young threw a touchdown into like triple coverage. He threw one into double coverage and they just made a play. Right. And uh, I'm not sure if the whole, you know, we haven't played a good passing offense thing affected the secondary, but it seems like it did to me. Right. And so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm. Ugh, that's how I feel. About uh, it. <laughs> last few things I'll talk about the stats before we kind of move on past that is, is the sort of overall EPA, which I found interesting because you know, going down this EPA, those expected points above average, uh, offensive EPA, there are no there are no negatives for either of these teams. Georgia's is substantially lower on offense. They had 0.84 to Alabama's 21.46. So what that yeah, means 0.84 is that... 0.84 is still pretty bad, but yeah, yeah. That's still, it's pretty bad, but it's still above what we expected. So the stats weren't bad in that sense, quote unquote. Um, Alabama being able to score 21.4 points above what they were expected to score is where that is pretty bad. And so, yeah, it is what it is at this point. But yeah, um, I mean, I think there's an yeah. argument to be made that the defense was worse than the defense was more bad at their jobs than the offense was, even though they were probably mm-hmm. both bad at their jobs. Yeah, definitely. And I think it. I don't know. I mean, I think I do think it comes back to it. Just feels like this is pure, purely, purely subjective, all perception based. But it feels like we we play conservatively whenever we play Alabama when we play the big game we don't play as aggressively as we do in other games and that could just be because well, yeah. our talent you know well, we have to I mean, play conservatively have... whatever I mean ultimately it's like look they got the best coach in they they arguably have the best coach in any organized sport mm-hmm. right and so beating that coach takes a lot and maybe and it's like again maybe you get out game planned anyway but if you're playing a team as you're playing a team that is as talented as you are, even if they're as talented in a different way, but has flaws. You can't afford to to like the more conservative you are, the easier it is for them to get in the game. I feel yeah. like. All right, let's talk about something else. I bum myself out now. <laughs> Want to go to takeaways? <laughs> sure. Hit me with. Uh, I I only had one question for you, Nathan. How do how do yes. you deal with with loss? How do you deal with grief? How do you self care? I mean, honestly, like I actually get over losses relatively quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, other than second and 26, other than the natty, which was that one, that one stung for a while. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, I'd rather be there than not, you know, mm-hmm. I'd rather it sucks. And it feels like we're tortured to get so close and never get there. But it's like, ask a Vanderbilt fan what it's like, you know, 
it's pretty easy to be a UGA fan right now. And I know we all, I make a lot of jokes about being dead inside or whatever and how hard it is. And there is part of that that is based, there's, there's a ring of truth to that in some ways. But ultimately, you know, two thirds of the sport can't get to the college football playoff. They just can't because yeah. of the way their, their money works, because of the way their programs work, because of the way the conferences are set up. You know, of the 130 teams in FBS, 15 of them have a shot. And I'm a fan of one of those 15. And yeah, it sucks to be close a lot and not get there. Uh, and I'm not the kind of person who's going to tell you like, uh, oh, just believe or whatever. But like, look, I still think that if you have the right process and you go through the right process enough times, you will get the outcome you want. And maybe you won't. And, you know, I could be blowing smoke, but ultimately I don't, I don't know structurally really much if, if Kirby smart could have done a much better job coming into this game. Now the actual micro decisions that he made in the game, I think we can talk about, but coaches get better, man. That's what it is. And Kirby smart's going to have to get better as a coach. If he wants to win a natty. And so mm-hmm. I guess for me, it's less grief and it's more just like my, my response to sort of like something bad happening has always been to be very uh, practical. Right. So I certainly it hurts and it sucked and I let myself feel how much it hurts as well as long as I need to. And then I think about like what I care about when it comes to this game and why I care about the game. And then, you know, I'm not going to say that like I moved on, but by the time we got to after the game, by the time we got to the fourth quarter, I was consoling other people. They weren't consoling me, you know? So yeah, that was, that's sort of my process. Oh Yeah. What about some other takeaways from this game? What do we have to see going into the Michigan well, preview? I mean, I mean, the I mean, look, you got to play better in the back half. You have to. You got to. You got to have. I don't know if what Alabama did is replicable by Michigan, just because of the, where their talent on their team lies. Right? It might be, but ultimately, you got to play better defense. And one of the things that was sort of a big deal in this game is that Jordan Davis had a real quiet game. I mean, he had some some good plays against the run, but they had two guys on him on every play. They held like crazy, which, you know what? I'm not even going to complain. That's part of the game. There's holding on every play, mm-hmm. right? You have to be, you have to have techniques for beating those holds. And so, you know, whatever it is, you got to figure it out. And so I, I think going to the Michigan game, my biggest takeaway is just like this defense has to play better. No matter who starts at quarterback, if the defense plays like it does the rest, has the rest of the year, you should be okay. Now their defense is good. This is probably going to be a close game. I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't imagine that, you know, 50 something points are going to be scored in this game or 60 something or whatever it was, but it's still going to be a close game. So Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's my biggest takeaway is that like, you have to have a more responsive game plan and you have to be willing to win the way that Alabama wants you to win. Right. Because yeah, we've already proven that you can't beat Alabama by winning the way that they want to or winning the way that you want to. It, it, especially if you're going to start Stetson Bennett. Yeah. What a time to be alive, man. Y- yep. Hey, and look, ultimately, <laughs> it's... Look, guys, Like, and I guess I... Maybe I'm being Pollyannish here, but ultimately, like... I hope that you could understand how a Kentucky fan or a Vanderbilt fan or Mississippi State fan or an Ole Miss fan would kind of find our bitching to be a little bit like champagne problems. 
Like, oh mm. no, it's so hard that we get so close to the college football playoff and it hurts every time, or we get so close to the natty and it hurts every time that we don't get it. And look, I know the 1980 jokes are tired. I know they're annoying. I know they happen constantly. But it's like, y'all, why are the night? Why do the 1980 jokes exist? Does every does anyone ever make jokes about how long it's been since Vandy has won a national title? Does anybody ever make Does anybody ever make jokes about how long it's been since Tennessee has won a national title? No, because they're not close to winning. They're not. They're not. They're not close to winning a national title. I mean, that's. I mean, so it's like, yeah. I get that it sucks. I'm I'm it sucks for me. I mean, I was there, right? I was literally on the field for parts of it. Like I get it. But I and I'm not trying to tell you to feel any way other than how you need to feel, but I do think that there's a certain amount of like let's check our privilege that needs to go on as Georgia fans. Right? We we it it sucks to be in the arena and lose every time, but let me tell you, all of those Florida fans who were talking a lot of shit last Saturday night, like what was their team doing? They were hiring Billy Napier and hoping that their recruiting class got better. Cool. <laughs> I hope they enjoyed that. So let's get into some questions. We did have some questions come into this episode. Yes. They're all very good questions. And we'll have a Patreon segment and Yara send in some rage. So we'll and just we'll like through every, each of those moments. Just like every year or every week, I think it's going to be short. And now we're an hour in. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where you should probably just stop saying it. Who can say, you know? Yeah, probably. But then, but then we'll, but then we'll actually have a short one. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah. They do exist. They're here. They've been here. Um, so if you ever want to have your questions go straight to us for them to be answered on the air, be sure to get them into us with the hashtag AskCBC or go ahead and send them through Gmail, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We will answer those on the show. Very first one comes from Clay Mysterio. Nathan, a few episodes back, you said you would punt all other sports in the sun if it meant winning a natty. How close were you to sending the band there as well? No, not e- not even, not no. It'll never happen. Sorry, he would never. Band never not band once. as an activity has to scrap and claw for every bit of money, reputation, and fame that it gets. And football has hundreds and hundreds of years of entrenched cultural influence. So no, I would make this team suffer for another fifty years. Before I said that I would punt pan into the sun. Next question. 50 years. That's his, that's his, uh, every, everybody's got a price. Nathan's is 50 years. We'll check back. Yeah. <laughs> Foot underscore asked. Kirby's reaction to the loss felt very unlike him. Was he trying to play 3D chess with the defense? Or was it just a matter of not remembering that we can't rush only four because Alabama's entire offensive scheme is predicted on not being called for holding every play? Yeah, I mean... There was an element in this game, and I didn't bring it up because it feels like sour grapes. But look, they did they did hold on every play, and I get mm-hmm. it. That's that's part of the game, I guess. But yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know that he was trying to play three D chess, so he was just trying to process the fact that he just got his ass kicked, right? Yeah, and it was. Tough. I don't know. I mean, most of the plays Jordan Davis got double teamed, and the te- and the it seems like the plays where the defense was like, you know what. We'll we'll do something different. That's the that's the time that they let Jordan Davis not get double teamed. So it was like it was very much it felt in some ways, and I hate saying forty chess, but it felt in a lot of ways that we got forty chess rather than the other way around. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It, it's it in a lot of times it comes down to how well do the other team watch tape, how well do they prepare for it, how comfortable do they feel calling uh you know, audibles and, and moving this around, but 
What was really wild is that if you go back and watch this game at all, both teams are constantly changing plays on both sides of the ball. And there was not a, a play, I think, that happened where either quarterback didn't change something about the play and the captains on the defense didn't change something about the play as well. And I think that was really neat. Uh, but it, I think it's just, yeah, it, it, it is just what it is. It looks like one thing and it ends up being another. And it's sometimes a guessing game in some ways. Yep. Uh, Next question. Heath asks, I'll ask Heath and Jay Anderson's question together. Heath asks, how do I stop feeling feelings? And Jay Anderson asks, why? How? What? I think my response to this would be what I spoke about earlier, where it's like, you don't want to stop feeling feelings. That's way worse than feeling things. Way worse. Than not feeling anything at all. Austin MS. The one... This one may be a little more for Justin, but relate each quarter of that depression inducing Charlie Foxtrot to a Father John Misty song. For me personally, the entire second half was pure comedy. Oh boy. Okay. Um, you can actually play this game as well because you revealed to me earlier that you are familiar with Father John Misty. So I am. Let's, let's do this a little bit together. What do you say? Yeah. So I think that... Oh, this is tough because... Okay. I'm going to, this is going to be a little bit of piecemeal and I'm going to have to put it back together probably on the other end, but let's look up some songs. And I think the fourth quarter was, was God's favorite customer. That's fair. Yeah. I think before the game is, this is the, so before the game, it was like, we were feeling chat to lobby number four all the way through. And we were like, let's do this thing. You know, we're getting married, right? You remember all the the lovely times we've had this season? Um, Mm -hmm. That was going into this game. Absolutely. Um, I have to look up some lyrics real quick to make sure I know. Uh, I mean, you know, one of I think that it's one of the most obvious songs to use in this is Nancy from Now On. Like everyone knows Nancy from mm-hmm. Now On if you're a Father John mm-hmm. Misty fan and it definitely captures a feeling of like not being in control while also like the act of losing control while not and, and then realizing you don't have control in some ways and things are just going to happen the way they happen. And yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how it felt. It was like, fuck yeah. me. Right. That's kind of the whole feeling of Nancy from now on. It's like, oh, I guess this is happening, huh? And then you're just watching it in slow motion, kind of an out of body experience in a lot of ways. Um, I yeah. don't know what quarter that is exactly, but it might be the third quarter. <laughs> um, but you know what? Maybe we come back to real love, baby, here between that Alabama game and this Michigan. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I'm gonna just say that the entire. I'm gonna audible into another uh, typically sad but intellectual art uh, artist and say that the entire game was "If We Were Vampires" by Jason Isbell. Oh God, why? Yep. <laughs> now you get that song this week. I'm not kidding. Yep. And I've now you get to, to feel how I feel. Yeah. That Why been... are you okay? <sighs> no. <laughs> not. Oh my god. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is like anybody. Tell anybody. Anytime. Well, other than my friend Peter, who is a very well-adjusted person, most of the time that someone says, "Oh yeah, I've been watching a lot of Attack on Titan," or "Oh yeah, I've been watching a lot of uh, Evangelion," I'm always just mm-hmm. like, "Who hurt you?" Yeah. Are you In all right? Se- yeah, they, it, that's the the reaction that people when they heard that my number one song was Driver's License had to that. That's the reaction I have 
to you telling me you've been listening to yeah, If We Were Vampires absolutely. on repeat. Are you but okay? <laughs> next it's question. It's a beautiful song. It is. Oh, it's gorgeous. But it's going to make you feel. Uh, Yara's question leading into Yara's rage in just a moment. So hypothetically speaking, how would one hypothetically get white wine out of their car? Hypothetically, of course. I Do they mean how would they get white wine out of like the seat of their car? As in like there's a white wine stain? So hypothetically speaking, if somebody lost a cork and accidentally rolled over a curb, spilling a fair amount of wine en route to a wine and cheese night, how would they hypothetically get white wine out of the car? Out of their hypothetical car. Uh, yeah. So I guess the car is real, but the rest of it. Yes. But the wine is hypothetical. If yeah. in the future you were to come across wine in your car. and have If someone who is 21, I have always heard that well, one, if Soda it's white water? wine, well, if it's white wine, you might just be able to use like, honestly, like just like laundry detergent, a little bit of laundry detergent, a little bit of water on a rag, damp it up, let let it set in for a minute and then get another wet rag that's just wet uh, and, you know, damp up the laundry detergent or whatever, because white wine comes up way easier than red wine. You, you probably yes. could just use sort of like a little soap and water and then kind of damp it down again with water and also for like two or three bucks you can get like bespoke upholstery cleaner that's like four car upholstery that works on stains and white wine should come up really easily because it doesn't that's have true. it's not it's not the right color to stain that way <laughs> uh so abby has a patreon segment that she would like to share with us and it is a question about the CBC Discord. If you haven't heard us talk about the CBC Discord enough, which I'm sure that is not true uh, in any way, you can become a member of this burgeoning uh, group of weirdos for just a dollar a month. Join us on the CBC Discord. Talk about fun things. And you can probably understand what it is we're about to say. Uh, because the question is, what is your favorite CBC Discord memory this year? What is something you have gotten the most joy out of this community with? Hmm. This is a hard question to answer because I, I don't it I don't want to I don't want to make any one of our patrons who I love all equally like my who are all my friends feel like their contributions have meant any more or less than me. That I is guess a real my people pleasing answer, and I need you to think of yourself, Nathan. <laughs> I guess what has brought me this most joy is seeing people who would never have met or connected connect on this platform. I love throwing parties <laughs> i love throwing parties for myself and then getting enjoyment out of the way other people feel at them i don't know <laughs> like <laughs> no, any party that fair. i have any party that i have i want everyone who leaves the party to feel like wow what a wild eclectic surprising heartwarming experience that was i just met a bunch of people i didn't think i was going to meet and i'm a little bit drunk and man but i made some connections tonight and i have felt like especially over the past year as we've really tried to push into the discord and and honestly as our membership has really made the discord into something special i have felt like i was throwing one very long party at which i where i was just watching all of these people that i knew separately become friends that otherwise wouldn't know each other and that has been sort of a very pleasing thing for me personally yeah it's true it has been really nice um you know being an adult it's really difficult sometimes to make friends and this was very much a way of being like, hey, these are all weirdos that I think you're going to like. <laughs> yeah. And they they like all the same stuff you like. And they hate all the same stuff you hate. Yeah. So 
this makes sense. Like, Do it. The, let me just say, uh, this is when I when I make this plea to all of you to join the Discord and get on the Patreon. It is not to make us money. Your one dollar pledge will be helpful, and we will use for you know hosting costs or whatever. But it's it's not going to improve me my personal socioeconomic status really. But I I can almost guarantee you with I, I can I can promise you with almost one hundred percent certainty that if you are listening to you know the last 10, 15 minutes of a Chapel Bell Curve episode right now, and you have listened to more than two or three over the last two or three weeks, uh, you will like being in this Discord. I can almost like I can almost one hundred percent guarantee you that like you will be doing yourself a favor by getting on here because there are a lot yeah. of very cool people who like a lot of the stuff that you like and think about things the same way that you think about them. And like, let's oh, yeah. be honest, like uh, to to me, I think the value of the Discord has nothing to do with you know any monetary gain that I get from it, which let me tell you is not a lot frankly, which is fine. The value to me is that there are a lot of spaces that are for Georgia fans that are great and good, but are not for the kind of Georgia fan that I am. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that anyone who feels that they're the similar kind of Georgia fan to me, and I don't mean politically, I just mean philosophically, how you think about the game and where you are in your life, I think that they would enjoy being here. I do too. Yeah. It's very true and it's very important. I will um, I'll also add that uh, no, I, I really enjoy the way that, Nathan, you have really taken to this Discord and done a great job of organizing things and creating spaces for everybody to put all of their enthusiasm um, and redirect it to the right spaces. I also will say that I really have enjoyed... Um, getting to know Yara and I think, and Yara is actually listening to this. So this is going to be listening to this live as well. So I, I don't mean to make it weird, but um, Yara's enthusiasm for this has really reminded me of my own enthusiasm for this back when I first started enjoying football, because it was at the time when I personally um, lost the, uh, my love of hockey because we lost thrashers. It was, it was near after that. Um, and so football became the replacement for that. And so did the community become a replacement for that. And it was an excuse to be enthusiastic about a thing um, that I enjoyed and to be around other people that were enthusiastic about a thing I enjoyed. And I thought I lost that following the 2020 season. And in some ways I did, but in other ways it grew into something else. And so um, it has been really nice to see someone in real time go through that kind of growth and uh, that that kind of like that just that burgeoning passion and enthusiasm for something um, and watching it uh, adjacently and being a part of that, um, whether I was invited or not. <laughs> but <laughs> it has been it has been really nice. And in a lot of ways, as I said, it has reinvigorated my own passion for this community, not the CBC community, but the the enthusiasm community um, as it as it pertains to football. So that is well said. my favorite part of this yeah absolutely well said all right speaking of yara let's let's come to yara's segment and yes i we would like to do yara's rage against the machine which was typed this week but that doesn't matter it's still delightful <laughs> and let's still go a through good some of these questions yeah you ready Yes, so Yara me. comes at the very top, says, I lost my Apple Pencil at the SEC Championship, and I am not about to spend $100 on another one at the moment, so I am writing this on a Google Doc until further notice. I apologize for the inconvenience, but at least know the rage is legible. LOL. One, man, that was my first real loss as a Georgia fan. Please describe your game day in three words. Mine would be, I hate Alabama. 
For the record, every time we do this, I kind of feel like we're coming up with our house words from Game of Thrones. Uh, yes. Mine would be uh, growth through pain. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would be too much bourbon. Yeah, that, those are good, good house time, words, though. honestly. Yep. Too <laughs> uh, don't mix bourbon or too much bourbon or anyway, I don't know. Uh, two, I'm determined to find the bright side of Saturday. What was your favorite part of the game? I think my favorite part would be when I was driving the truck to the bins. I got to wave and bark at everybody and it was wonderful. Uh, I <laughs> This is a weird thing to say that I enjoyed, but we there was a moment where we were coming in for the Friday night practice and the trucks went to the wrong spot. Uh, and we had to sort of, they follow the buses, but they shouldn't have. And it's just, there's a big convoluted parking situation under Mercedes-Benz where you can get into the tunnels that lead like directly to the field. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of security involved and a lot of like, had to be in the right place. So uh, we all, we t- I ran back to the back of the thing and we turned the trucks around and I got in the front truck and we followed the front of uh, the equipment trucks and we followed this very bra- brave Georgia State Patrol officer. I Okay, okay, first off. Whatever your opinions about the state of the police in America are, holy crap, the Georgia State Patrol. That this is my this is like my favorite part of the weekend. And even if we had won, it would have been one of my favorite parts. They shut down all of I-85 South uh in the middle of Friday rush hour traffic at like 5:30. We were running behind because there was a wreck on 316, and they shut down 85 so hard that we had several we had several news helicopters following us that were incorrectly reporting that it was the football team coming to Athens or coming to Atlanta. And then they shut down all of the 285 connector, like right before it gets to 75. It was like being in a zombie movie. But anyway, so we, the trucks had gone in the wrong place. We got everybody turned around. I jumped the first truck and there was this very, very polite, very kind Georgia state patrol officer who was having the time of his freaking life, just basically like getting behind people with his sirens on, getting on his blow horn and going, move, pull to the right. <laughs> move at one point he got out of his car and walked up to someone else's car tapped it and like pointed over and then got back in his car and they were doing that like the whole night like these guys they, they would go from the when we were driving in and out they would go from the front of the bus caravan it's like eight buses to the back to the back to the front and they're going like 120 140 miles an hour just like zooming by and it was like those guys these guys have a job that can really suck and they're they are they are absolutely like living their best life like he there was in, in a logistical nightmare for a moment, there was a concert going on at the Georgia World Congress Center, and I think one at Phillips as well, as we were pulling in for our Friday night practice. So this this poor GSP guy, he was like navigating, and then he'd talk to like a Fulton County sheriff, and then he'd get us around one turn, and then he'd stop again and talk to like an Atlanta police police officer and get around another turn. And then he was just like mowing people around, and it was... Anyway, there is a part of me even though this is not a big part of my life, there is a part of me that whatever I'm in a big truck or in like the bus convoy, I get a little bit like seven year old boy playing with Tonka trucks where I'm mm-hmm. in, where I'm like big bus, go broom, big truck, move fast. <laughs> Yay. Oh man. Like that's like the time that were you there with us when we went to the, the landfill, the C, uh, ACC. Yeah, landfill? yeah. Yeah. For the, uh, for the, what's it called? The <laughs> citizens government Academy, citizens government Academy. And we were up yeah. there on the big, big pile of trash. And they were like, you want to see us drive over it? And I was like, yes. And they did that. Yes. And I just involuntary was like, yes. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. There's, head. <laughs> I wish that I wish I could tell you that I was above this, but I really, there is something to me where it's like, if you put me in any vehicle that is more than like a foot off the ground, naturally, I'm just going to be like, <laughs> like the whole time, <laughs> like just, just absolutely like, the cool. horn. like I'm just a child. 
Let me do it. Uh, anyway, okay. Do you believe that this loss will put a fire under the dogs and encourage them to demolish Michigan, or will this loss cause them to become demotivated and lose to Michigan? Uh, I think that they'll be pretty motivated. I'm going to go ahead and say that you give Kirby Smart like a week and a half for him. You have Kirby Smart like three weeks to dwell on a loss. He's going to get something out of him. Yeah. I think that uh, Harbaugh is going to be way too jazzed about finally winning the big game. <laughs> That's how I feel about yeah. it. <laughs> like he's going to be like, I don't know what to do with my hands. He's a very good coach. We'll talk about that more late next week. Uh, yeah. Next question. I've been hearing a lot about Reese's Senior Bowl. So if a senior accepts the invitation to that bowl, does that mean that they can't come back for another year of playing since there's another year of eligibility left because of last year? This is a good question. I don't know the uh, logistics of this, so, okay. how this works. Normally, it doesn't matter, okay? Only college seniors and fourth-year junior graduates are eligible for the game. So basically, most of the time, if you... Um, yeah, see, that's this is not even the Reese's Senior Bowl website answers this question. Because normally, if you were in the Senior Bowl, it wouldn't matter because you wouldn't have eligibility anyway. But there are actual seniors who are fourth-year college students who will probably be graduating, right, who will be eligible for this game. Normally, okay, so in a normal NFL draft process, you have to declare that you are going to the draft. It is like an official thing that you do, right? Um, mm -hmm. And until you declare for the draft, and and one of the things is like hiring an agent, I know those roles are changing a little bit, but until you've officially said that you're declaring for the draft, you're not draftable, and therefore you can come back. I don't actually know, and this is something I'll try to do some research on, if there is a situation where someone could play in the Reese's Senior Bowl and then choose to come back. Now, I will say that I think one of the things will be is that a lot fewer people will play in it because a lot of the people playing in the Reese's Senior Bowl are trying to get scouted by NFL players or, or are not like you'll, – you'll see some very good players at the Senior Bowl. Like I remember – I think Roquan Smith played at it or whatever. Like You'll see some very good players at the Senior Bowl. But a lot of the times, like the top level, the first day NFL draft picks don't even need to go, right? They already know mm. they're being drafted. They don't have anything to prove. Why risk getting hurt, right? So a lot of times it's seniors who are draftable, but you know, maybe don't feel that good about what their draft valuation said. They want to go from a third to a second day pick or a second to a first day pick. So it's going to be a much different evaluation because a lot of those guys who are, come, are going to be, who are seniors right now, but have a year of eligibility remaining, who haven't used their COVID year, you know, Probably the draft calculus would be, well, if I can play one game and improve my draft spot, it might actually be better to just bet on myself, come back for another year and see what I can do. Maybe get more playing time, et cetera. Now, that, that depends from, from scenario to scenario, though. I wish I had a clearer answer on that. I'm going to do some more research. That's good. Why can't the players that want to declare for the draft play in the bowl games? That isn't fair, in my opinion. No, they can. They totally no, can. No, no. So, so Okay. There's, there's sort of, okay, there's this thing, Yara, and uh, this happened before you became a college football fan. So uh, there is a thing in, there's a recent trend in college football where draft eligible players who know they're going to get drafted high are skipping the bowl. Anyone can do that. You can opt out of the bowl anytime you want. I mean, you're not coming back to the team. Are they going to kick you off the team? You're essentially saying, I'm done with the team. And for a lot of players, this makes a lot of sense, right? So like last year, uh, UJ was playing in the Peach Bowl and Eric Stokes didn't play, right? Eric Stokes knew he was going to be a first down, uh, a first day draft pick, like a second, third, fourth round draft pick. He knew he was going to make a lot of money. He didn't have anything to prove in that game. The only thing that happened to that game was that he could get hurt and then that would hurt his draft stock, right? And since honestly, the Bulls are themselves exhibitions, right? They don't actually matter. I mean, other mm. than the experience of getting some practice in and I mean, they matter to a lot of people, but they don't matter 
like there's not a there's not a national championship at stake, right? So a lot of non college football playoff guys have been opting out, and that's already happened again this year. Because why wouldn't they, right? Now I don't think you'll see any opt outs on any of the college football playoff rosters, right? Like you have something to play out for. You can theoretically win a natty. You go out there and play. But like while the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl are prestigious and important and cool, like they're not cooler than a hundred and twenty million dollar check, which That's is what you're putting though. at stake if you get hurt in that final game. Yep. Do you think the game was rigged? Our Lord and Savior Kirby Smart didn't seem as mad as he should have been during halftime, and it made me kind of suspicious. No, I don't. I don't think the game. Was <laughs> I mean, look. Here's the thing. It's true that. Uh, it's true that the SEC would much rather have had Alabama win that game because that puts two SEC teams in the playoff. But a, I, my general thoughts on conspiracies is that people are too stupid to make conspiracies happen. Like basically. Conspiracies rely on a bunch of people not telling the truth and keeping their story straight and not blabbing about it, and that functionally people are idiots who will all someone will always do that. So I don't trust that in general. Although it has happened, like uh, in the NBA, there were some ref improprieties. And the second thing is like UGA got its ass kicked so hard. Like I don't know how refs trying to rig the game would really change anything. Like certainly. If you don't let Alabama hold as much as they did, UGA probably scores more points, but that's not going to change the fact that Bryce Young was unconscious for most of the game. <laughs> uh, okay, I have been pondering my orb since Saturday night about why we didn't play JTD, especially when Stetson was being second in the fourth quarter. Why do you think Kirby continued to put Stetson in? Also, do you think Stet- uh, JTD is going to declare for the draft? Or will he come back for his senior year? Or is he just going to transfer again? LOL. Okay, so this is the thing that's weird. He's already used his one for his college football players get a one-time transfer without having to sit out. So if he transfers, he's going to have to sit out a year because he already transferred once. Now, I don't know if he got a waiver on that transfer because of the injury, but I don't think he did. I would say most likely he declares for the draft or transfers, but the way he would stay is basically if he doesn't get a good draft grade because he hasn't played enough or whatever, uh, and he decides that he can't transfer without sitting out a year, he could stay. But I think the most likely scenario is that he ends up leaving. Yeah. He didn't have to, think... he didn't have to sit out before. Right. And so, so basically when, okay, it used to be that if you transferred from one team to another, you had to sit out a full year. Okay. And now you don't, but you can only do it once. He didn't have to sit out. D. Robert Auburn, I believe, did have to sit out, so he could transfer. Although I don't think it mattered. I don't think he would. Um, and then, oh, Yara is asking a question in the in the live chat about what is a draft grade. So basically, if you are um, if you are a draft eligible junior, okay, if you're a senior and you don't have any more eligibility remaining, you have to just put your name in the hat for the draft. If you're a draft eligible junior or you're a senior this year who has an extra year of eligibility because of COVID, you get what's called a draft grade, which is where uh, NFL talent evaluators and sometimes even private evaluators that you pay will basically look at your tape, they'll work you out, and they'll give you feedback about like, here's here's when we expect you to get drafted in the in the NFL. And what they're trying to do is tell you like, hey, you know, you're a junior, but you're probably not going to get drafted if you come out, so you shouldn't come out. Or we expect you to get drafted in the second or third round. Right. So if if the talent evaluator said to JT Daniels, hey, we think that you'd be a third day pick and which means, you know, you'd get paid a lot of money, but you wouldn't be making like life changing generational wealth money. 
Uh, and you wouldn't necessarily be being drafted by a team that needed a quarterback. So you wouldn't be guaranteed any playing time, right? If if that's what they told uh if that's what they told JT, then JT might decide, well, it's better for me to stay another year at uh, at the col- at the collegiate level and try to get some more playing time, right? Um so that's how the draft grades work. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think he stays, you know. It doesn't make much sense to me, especially with uh Gunnar Stockton coming. Got too many yeah, too know. many boys. I, I don't know. It just depends on what Stetson Bennett does and it depends on I mean, look, if you're JT Daniels, what has Kirby Smart shown you to make you think that you're going to get more playing time next year? So I would say whatever the yeah. situation is, the most likely cha- the most likely scenario is that he's not on the team one way or the other. Yeah. Next question. My new bestie of the week is Brock Bowers. Who was your bestie of the week, a.k.a. the MVP of the game? Oh, it's Brock Bowers. It's not close. Brock Bowers, 100%. He, yeah, he's, the, he's the best. He's the best tight end in the nation as a freshman. The fact that he yeah. wasn't on the Mackey Award finalist is, is an absolute travesty. Yeah. Okay, since Jake Camarda said he was going to the bowl and thus will not come back next semester, what is pre- what? And Yar is referring to the bowl as the Reese's Senior Bowl. Uh, will oh. not come back next semester. What is preventing me from becoming a walk-on kicker punter for the team right now? Reasons why I would be the best kicker: one, nobody will hurt me; they'll be too scared to touch me. Two, I can and will knock people out if they touch me. Three, I played soccer for sixteen years and have a mean left kick. Four, I am an ambidextrous kicker. Well, nothing. They do have a walk-on it. program. A lot, a lot they, of uh, hot, hot pod, hot pod started out as a kicker, as a walk on. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think Camarda was actually a scholarship player, but I mean, he was really the only thing that's, that's keeping it from happening is you pursuing it and them accepting. Of course, there's also two boys named Noah that are both punters. <laughs> well, you have to be, I mean, look, everybody knows the gauntlet you have to go through to beat the Noahs, but... Yeah, that's part of it all. There's so many Noahs that you have to then first defeat. One of them lies, and the other one only tells the truth. And it's up to you to decide which is which. You have to you have to physically fight them, just to be clear about what we're saying. That's true. It's not like a football One of them kicks to the left, the other kicks to the yeah. right. You have to actually f- defeat them in physical combat. And only then will it. be the Highlander. Ready for it to happen. What lessons can the dogs take from this game, in your opinion? How do you think we will use this loss to prepare for Michigan? I mean, I think the biggest lesson is you have to have to, you have to figure out what's going on with the defense. Is it a one-day mm-hmm. thing? Is it a fluke? Is it something that is replicable by other teams? Yeah. Well, Gotta not trust even the by boys. other teams. By, by Michigan. You have to ask yourself, did you put something on tape that Michigan can exploit? And if they can, then you got to make some changes. Mm-hmm. The final question. I read that Michigan doesn't know how to play defense because Big Ten doesn't play defense. What does that mean? Do you agree or disagree with that? I also don't know if the quotation marks come before or after the period. I can answer that question. They come. They always come after the period. Always, always, always. Um, yeah, they always come after. Yeah. So, well, it depends on what style guide you're in, but yes, generally. Yeah. I'm, I'm an so, AP style guy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an MLA guy, but he's still correct. So, um to answer your question, the Big Ten can play defense. That's a stupid. That's that's stupid. That's something that SEC fans say about the Big Ten. That honestly isn't really. I mean, it's been true in the past, but really, the Big Twelve is the league that on that has played less defense in the past. So that doesn't even work. Um, so I mean, there used to be a talent gap between the Big Ten and the SEC, and to, and to some extent, there still is from top to bottom. But look, Michigan plays. Michigan has had a really good defense this year. Now they haven't been oh, yeah. Georgia good, but they've been quite good. So uh, I would not, I would not take that seriously. That's something that someone who doesn't listen to the podcast would say. 
<laughs> got him. Got that's, him. Uh, that's that's all we got, Nathan. Do you want to see us out? I almost just picked a fight with Barstool. Uh, no, yes, I would love to. Do it. Um, no, that's something. That's the one who only gets all of their sports information from Barstool would stay. All right, so um, <laughs> this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you liked what you heard today, we'd love if you'd give us a rating or review. If you really like what you heard today, we'd love to hear uh, to have you on our Discord at Patreon uh, via the Patreon. So you can find us on page at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us pretty much anywhere on social media at Chapel Bell Curve, or you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. Or if you know me personally, you can text or email me or whatever. That's fine too. Yeah. We will catch you, I guess, in two in next weekend at Authentic Brewing in Athens. But until yeah. then, go dogs. dogs.